folks, this is Jason from The High Route to intro episode four of our Gearshed podcast. In this episode, our gear editor over at The High Route, Gavin Hess, speaks with Slater Applin, a Telluride local and soon-to-be Jackson resident. These two longtime friends and trained engineers discuss the finer points of some of the gear we'll be testing and reviewing this season. I'm going to take a minute to interrupt the introduction to plug our reader-supported website, The High Route, where we have a simple mission to cover human-powered turn-making in the backcountry. Listen up for the site address because we have hyphens in the name. It's the-high-route.com. Dot com. One more time, the-high-route.com, and hyphen is definitely not spelled out. It's just the dash between the words. Our podcasts, however, are free, yet are not free to produce or host on a server. So if you are enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting the site. Okay, that is it. On to the show with Gavin and Slater, and thanks for listening. Well, Slater, let's let's give you a little introduction um, for the for the listeners that haven't heard you in your other podcast appearance appearances throughout the internet. <laughs> yeah, of course. My name's Slater. I grew up in the San Juans, and Gavin and I met through friends of friends when skiing down in Argentina, and immediately connected in a big way, just liking skiing and liking gear and it was a formative trip everyone has those when you're like young and broke and things feel intense counting dollars and (laughs) and it was just a good time and ever since then we've been just trying to piece together spending time together and and that inherently comes with talking about gear i think we both share the like ski gear fetish thing and we've we've been spending more and more time together and that's about to uh to escalate even further starting in December when Slater makes the, the move to the Tetons, which. Yeah, that's big. It's maybe not the first time, but it feels like the most serious of your moves to the Tetons. I've certainly been flirting with the idea of the Tetons and relocating there for a while. And gosh, I have like a pretty, deep set of roots in the San Juans, but ever since I went to the Tetons for the first time, like post-Argentina, I went up and stayed with Gavin and and his partner Morgan for some skiing, and he just showed me around. It was just this, I describe it as like the best month of my life. It was just incredible power skiing for a month. We didn't do anything else. <laughs> it was not like an if, but where for the next day. It was so cool. And ever since then, I'm like, gosh, how do I get back there? And it started with a month and then went to two months. And now this past summer, I was there for longer, maybe three. And now I'll be moving December and being there full time, which sounds great. Yeah, can't wait. Can only hope that uh, that we have as good of a time as we did that that first month that you were sleeping on our couch and and we were skiing so much that we really weren't capable of doing anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Be like, wake up, get food, ski, and then it'll eventually get dark. So we stop skiing and go home. 
and then just rinse and repeat. And it'll be some different form of that. Times have changed. You think? And so I bet our tactics will change too. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> I've cleared the schedule, that's for certain. We've got a lot of of skiing to do to uh to put in time on all these skis that we have showing up at my house to review. That's right, we sure. have some more direction now. Yeah. We've got to go our, out there and put these things to work. Both with our skiing and our talking about gear, now it's now it's like some that's sort of purpose. some sort of a job. <laughs> I think that's no, what's no. interesting. We're and talking cool. about skis because it's work, not not just because we love it. It's that's work. right. We're billing the time out. <laughs> who knows who we're billing it to? But it's getting billed. Yeah, let me know if you figure out who to bill it to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that part. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I think it. I mean, all of this is like half tongue in cheek, half joking, but it, it feels like half logical as well you know we're chatting about these things of like gosh i like this ski like what's your ski all about and we're trying it's been this like slow burn of trying to build language around how to talk about skis and bindings and why we like this one and not that one because you read a product description you're like oh that sounds good and then you try it and it's probably like the only I'm, at least for me, I, like I didn't ski on very many touring skis, but I was craving like trying to have language or like have some um, way to explain like what's the deal between this one and that one. Totally. And I think a lot of people have that problem, but we've just like reached for it a little bit more and trying to solve it for ourselves. Yeah, we've let our addiction take hold. That's a, that's good. But I yeah, I thinking I just had this flashback of uh of that first trip in Argentina and I had my my first pair of touring skis still which were some fairly old K2 Kumbas or Waybacks or something like that with with even older Dinafit TLTs and you were on Fisher or Hannibal's or Transalp something. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Fisher, I forget the language, Transalp, Hannibal 88. Yeah. And I just, I just remember being like, I think we're at that point, we were both like, yeah, I mean, you know, these were the cheapest skis. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That was, yeah. That was the best we could do. And, uh, and and then all the conversations around that of like, you know, what we were going to upgrade to and how light of bindings we could use. And I remember pontificating on the fact that race bindings weren't probably burly enough for how rad we were. Totally. All these, all these thoughts that I maybe have learned better or or not not as better we're on we're just like and things just continue to swing where there's this spectrum of like uphill versus downhill performance and we're just like moving our place on that spectrum at the time for sure i mean i'm not a, like a small guy and i was on 88 underfoot ski that like fisher trans out and by the time 
our trip ended, like the skis were broken. <laughs> I'm like, why are these skis breaking? Not, not the first trip or not the only trip over the years in which Slater has either finished or really started the trip with a broken pair of Fisher Trans Alps. I mean, I'm two for two <laughs> for international trips with you and breaking skis. Fisher Trans Alps specifically. So, yeah. Yeah. The second ones were two, huh? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Cause you warrantied them or something and. Right. You, you, were, you were right back with the same thing because that's what was cheap. <laughs> yeah. We, it was like, sweet. Our second international trip together, we still didn't have any money. Well, I was like, man, those 88s didn't work. I'm going to try a pair of 94s. But it was like the same construction. It was like this <laughs> semi-capped construction with like a little bit of sidewall underfoot. And I just smoked a rock. Like, Yeah, those were not Clydesdale compatible. It's okay. I still ski on the small skis, but I'm just maybe like half accepting that they're going to break and then half more <laughs> gentle. I think throughout our friendship, I've been present for three ski breakages <laughs> of yours, and I've never broken a ski. You're good at that. You're very good at that. Which maybe says something about the both our size and aggressiveness yeah yeah and and perhaps perhaps luck too because one of those happened in a rescue sled oh yeah i remember that too that was crazy dragging someone in a rescue sled i pulled my ski out another too small for me ski <laughs> and i'm like dude this ski's broken <laughs> after dragging someone in the sled <laughs> I'm like, come on those were good skis mtn 88 uh, another like cheapest ski i could find on the internet ski yeah yeah they were like discounted graphics or something right like, like defect de yeah yeah you were sort of like i wanted a zero g i wanted a zero g 105 <laughs> but these were 200 dollars cheaper so here we are here it goes. <laughs> speaking of fisher transalps I'm looking at my review list here for the winter. We have two pairs of Fisher Transalps on the menu. Yeah, I'm excited for those. Are you thinking you're going to try to break them? or? I'm going to stick to the 105s more than the 86s, but they're both going to get put to the test. I have to say that that if my memory serves correct of, of those Transalps and Hannibals that you had years ago, these skis feel significantly burlier like i'm yeah on the surface i have zero concerns about durability um and they look freaking sweet does look like a good construction yeah it looks like it's more rate it's like they're they've moved that needle on the uphill downhill spectrum more downhill yep yeah added in some more substantial sidewalls um yeah. And the yeah, we've got the the Transalp Pro eighty six CTI, I think they throw in there, yeah. and then and then the Transalp one hundred five CTI. Yeah, two different skis for sure. The Pro eighty six is like a very traditional, pretty flat tail, little bit of tip rocker kind of deal. Very stiff. The eighty six. The eighty six. Yeah, I think that's going to yeah. be like potentially like a bit of an ass kicker but 
or just like yeah. demanding ski. I would I I would guess, um, but probably pretty pretty confidence inspiring in in steep situations. Uh, and then that 105 looks yeah we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, just sending back back and forth photos and stuff, but but that 105 looks like a pretty ideal like mid hundreds underfoot um midwinter sort of versatile ski relative to maybe the sort of benchmark ski in my mind in that world the the blizzard zero g 105 the trans alp is like a bit more rockered and feels a bit more substantial in some yeah. ways like i think i think the the tip is like a bit wider um for longer maybe like it's it's kind of hits its widest um a bit further back than the zero g so it just looks like it's it looks like it's going to be more powder oriented than than the zero g 105 which is always something that i have disliked about that zero g 105 is it just doesn't float well right it's not a powder ski the 105 no but it's like it's like what you were explaining earlier where it you ha it demands like good technique. It's not forgiving, but when you put energy into it, like it'll give it back. Yeah, absolutely. And it, there's certainly a lot that it is good for, but but as like for example around here, even when you're skiing in the high peaks in the in the winter and often hopefully in powder snow, it's still a significant amount of like lower angle, hopefully powder skiing that you're doing, getting back to the Valley. And it's always sort of been like, right. A bit of a bummer on the zero G one Oh five. If you've got deep snow or more challenging snow, cause, cause they don't float that good. But, but the flip side of that is that they're an awesome ski in the, in steeper kind of more demanding situations. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm pretty hopeful for that Transalp yeah. 105 to be kind of that potential Goldilocks midwinter mid fat, if we're gonna call it that. Uh, I think so. Ski, yeah, it has like some weight, so it can handle not getting deflected too much if like snow gets variable, but. It's light enough to be able to put in good days on, and that I that like amongst 105 skis seems interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be I'll be interested to uh, to sort of put it side by side with with your uh, Navis Freebirds because it seems pretty similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah people certainly talk about that navis performing better in soft snow than you'd expect um mm. and i expect the transalp to perform well in soft snow so it'll be yeah be interesting to get a little side by side on those yeah that'll be what that'll be good what's next on the list this is we're going through and like chatting through the skis so far that we have in this quiver that we'll be like swapping and skiing and talking about and trying to like categorize by themselves and compared to each other. Yeah, yeah, right? essentially it's it's going to be our review quiver is the way I'm thinking of it for the winter and and I think between yeah. you and I 
our friend Matt Queso. I think we'll we'll get into the mix as well, and then and then yeah, I'm excited really to like get also let uh, some other folks uh, that are around get on some get on some of these skis and give me some feedback or give us some feedback that we can add into the reviews. I know um, my friend Charlie, who's uh, in his 60s and not a great skier, perhaps he gets it done, but but he he's doesn't have PSIA level technique. <laughs> uh, he was like, what you really need is a bad skier to review your yeah. skis. And I was like, well, <laughs> do you want to try them out, Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, you want to get on the skin? <laughs> yeah. Charlie will tell you. How about you take him for a He'll, he'll give you a very vague ranking of, of how how hard he has to think about a ski turning before it turns. And that's, that's pretty much his, his, uh, benchmark for how good a ski is, is how hard he has to think about turning. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. The more opinions, the better. I mean, amongst sort of a discerning pool candidates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that because we have this pretty awesome privilege of having quite a few skis around and like we talked about earlier most people just don't have that um yeah it's cool to be able to share that and help other people other folks build that that kind of ski design literacy and learn more about what they like and what they want or don't like and don't want um so yeah hopefully we can continue to kind of share the love on that and get get people out on these skis but yeah moving on down the list um we've got the the black crows draco and solus um i know the draco is sort of slater's uh request and i'm excited to try it out but but i don't know how to ski backwards so the twin tip thing doesn't doesn't totally appeal to me (laughs) Well, the twin tip thing, yeah, there's whenever I make a mistake and end up skiing backwards, that would be convenient. Uh, or do a 540. Yeah. <laughs> well, a little too much there. <laughs> and then, but having like, having tail rise and shortening the ski and being able to like make it easier to throw out your tails, I really like that style of skiing. And I think that it's getting more popular to turn but not have to initiate and disengage like full turns. And it makes for this more dynamic style of skiing. You, everyone... Might might you be talking about a, a slarve perhaps? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And so, and I think that that's a good other use of twin tip skis. <laughs> the, the old slarve. The slarve is alive and well after Slater spent a winter on his DPS one. Yeah, those are good. The, <laughs> the best larving ski I've been on yet, though, is the, which is such a underappreciated ski, really. And it was interesting example of how ski length is pretty important, but it was the Scott Scrapper 115 in a 181 length, which is sort of short for me. Do you you have a pair of those, yeah? So I have the 189, but oh. then our buddy Seamus has the 181s, and I 
skied on both and I'm like, gosh, these are so different. It's really interesting. And we have them in the same sort of mounting position in relation to like the center of the ski, but it's just the shorter length makes it a lot easier to disengage the tails. And that so far has been, according to the Charlie metric of skiing, that's been the easiest ski to throw tails out and like slar return for me. Anytime. It's so pivoty. Maybe maybe we should be adding that metric to reviews. Right. The how hard <laughs> to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten. I mean, the top of the list, one of them would be like the zero G one oh five. As far as most thought to turn? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I the at the top of my list currently is the uh well, there's the blizzard spur. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting era for me. Those are decidedly too heavy for ski touring. That's fair. 2,400 grams or something. And then, uh, and then that I have a ski trap Neve. Right. Those take some, some serious concentration to make turn. (laughs) Yeah. But more on that, more on that later. Um, the Draco. Yeah, I yeah. think it would be interesting. We've got that mounted with a kingpin, Slater's favorite binding that he's never skied. <laughs> we'll talk about okay. that later. That's Yeah, I have plenty to say about the the kingpin, even though I've never touched one before, but I'll have... He's been talking about it for years. but Yeah, it's going to actualize this season. I'm looking forward to it. And then another ski uh, next on the list after the Draco, uh, the Black Crow Solus. Um, I think that has some serious potential to uh, to hit that ten out of ten thought needed to make a turn. Yeah. Um, I've got them sitting next to me here. I've been sort of just gawking at them for the last couple of days. They're good at graphics, Black Crows, and they're they're pretty skis. They've got that crazy square tip and skin cut out. But mostly looking at them, I just have never seen a ski that's so straight. Like it really highlights how a uh, a lot of other touring skis use a pintail design Um with a essentially a longer turning radius in the back half of the ski and tighter in the front half of the ski, so like a wide tip relative to the tail um, to get a, a longer turning radius, where these uh, these soluses get a long turn radius by just purely being very straight. <laughs> and so what is this? The solus is what's the hope or why are you... It's, you're interested in it because it's so different. Yeah, it's it has to be the most unique non-powder ski that I am familiar with in the last, like, yeah, in sort of the modern, you know, last five years or so that I've been kind of deep in this world. I just, I can't think of something that is more of a departure but also it's i don't know it's appealing to me in so many ways too like the the rocker profile of this like pretty like 
substantial tip rocker, but it's it's low, slung, and long, and and uh, relatively subtle, but it, it's significant. And then the, like a flat, stiff tail with just a little bit of early rise, and then a touch of camber, but pretty much flat. Mm. Yeah, I picture them not only being amazing, uh, like steep skiing skis, um, but also I I imagine that they'll be really good in like really shitty snow. Yeah. Like I'm picturing taking them on those late afternoon glory laps, say, where it's been sunny all day and it's starting to refreeze, but I'm just trying to get a little fitness in and and oftentimes i'll just take whatever skis or something light so i have less to carry but i i can really sort of picture having a good time on on the solace um because it really just seems like it's ready to blast through some of that stuff and not be like there's nothing to be hooky or catchy on the ski (laughs) right so yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about the Solas. I I've been sort of lusting over it for a few years now, and I I'm excited to finally finally try it out and see if it's everything I hope. And they slightly changed it this season. Yeah, they lightened it up a little bit. Um, I think you yeah. you said this when you sh- when you I think you sent it to me this spring or summer when they released some information about it, but but they lightened it up, um, which is what I sort of has always been a reserve for me is, you know, not being in Chamonix, not having lift access, steep skiing, the 1900 gram Solus or 1850 gram Solus was a little intimidating for sure. You're like, Oof. But yeah, it's a little lighter. They shaved like 150 grams off of it and added just a hint of camber. Um, they have like a millimeter or two of camber at rest yeah. where the old ones were pretty much flat. But yeah, I'm excited. We'll see. I might get my ass kicked. Um, the the guy at Black Crows, Tristan, essentially told me that that he wasn't sure why I was interested in the Solus because nothing is steep enough in North America. Wow. to warrant it. And I was like, "Geez, okay." <laughs> what a loud statement! <laughs> nothing is in North America, or maybe he said in the Tetons. Or around here, but uh, okay, well, that's a whole different topic of discussion. Is like slope angle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, cool. So that's the solace. Um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, the first look will be out. So uh, we can move on from that one. Um, this one we don't have in hand yet, but it is coming. Is the Dina Star Dina Star M Tour yeah. One Hundred Eight? Um. Speaking of slarvy loose skis, I'm hearing and reading that that the M Tour 108 is kind of based on the M Free 108 shape, huh. um, which which is a kind of resort ski. First of all, you see everywhere, um, right? And and people say it's just this really loose, surfy, fun uh, shape. And so, yeah, I think that that has some some serious potential as a kind of sub one ten millimeter, fairly light, um, 
surfy powski. I think that could be good fun. Yeah. I'm ex- I'm I'm excited for that one. Yeah, that'll be I've been really curious if Dina Star skis for a while. And so it'll be cool that they this 108 to me seems like cuz they've classically had the 98 and the 88 in any variety of the past editions that they've called it, the M Tour or like the vertical Eagle or, you know, all these different yeah. iterations of the Dean Star. But this M Tour 108 is like a North American ski. They're like, okay, North Americans, they want like a 108 instead of a 98. Let's give that to them. And so it's cool. That's at least how I'm viewing the ski is that it has a slightly bigger waist width that's accommodating towards the North American market, but it, it maintains this like, unique shape and profile um that the 98 has had totally yeah i think it'll be i'm i'm quite excited i i similarly unsurprisingly given how much we talk about about skis have also been sort of lusting over that m tour 99 or whatever they're calling it these days um yeah and not to mention our infatuation with uh, with all things Vivian. And yeah, it's he, a different conversation. Yeah, he he certainly played. I think has played a role in in the designs of a lot of those M Tour skis. So so naturally, we're we're drawn to them. Totally. But yeah, I think that that will be a really fun, surfy, slarvy ski uh even f- kind of further on that powder oriented side of of a navis or zero g105 um and coming in similar if not a bit lighter than the zero g105 and company like right they're coming in between 14 and 1500 grams yeah and then yeah kind of moving further into the hypothetical world we've been hearing some rumors about something new from atomic um and given that the backland 107 uh is i think you would agree an all-time favorite yeah such a good ski the the rumor anyways very much unconfirmed is that uh we'll be receiving a some something of a replacement or similar to the Backland 107 uh, at some point at the beginning of this winter. So we'll be looking forward to that. I don't know if we have much more to say on that um, given it's, yeah, the vagaries of the information that that we have. Yeah, it'll be good to see what replaces it. It's like big shoes to fill. Backland 107 is such an excellent ski. It was that, again, the Charlie metric of like, thinking about how hard or easy a ski is to turn. It's like, man, that back on 107 is easy to turn. It's confidence inspiring and like intuitive. And so whatever, like if the rumors so may be true and that 107 is getting replaced, whatever they're replacing with, I'm sure they put a lot of good thought into what might be the next step. If that 107 era is done, there's like room for progression and whatever that ski design is going to do to change the type of skiing that people do like while touring, then great. That, that seems interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm excited. I have not skied the Backland 107, um, but I know you and Jason and a few other folks who have said sort of undisputed best ski they've ever skied. So big shoes to fill, but I, I trust that right that atomic knows that and is has something cool going on yeah i'd say or just similar <laughs> there's nothing crazy about the backland 107 right like it's a it's it's a almost in the same conversation as the the soulless rocker profile like the backland 107 is a similar kind of just like an appealing directional rocker profile um that yeah it just seems it's like well done but but not not groundbreaking in any specific way yeah i know and that's what's so interesting about the ski design is that you can have a a few different skis stacked up next to each other and the differences between them are so subtle but it dramatically affects the experience of what skiing is like. Well, you can look at this stuff. Totally. You look at like, yeah, this one weighs that much, and this one has this many dimensions, and this one has that turning radius. And then um, and then when you ski them, it, it does provide for such a different experience. To- yeah, like looking at a ski and reading the specs on paper can only do do so much it really comes down to how it all comes together yeah and and some things like like the flex profile and things like that i think especially really are like impossible to to quantify with your with your hands pushing on a ski or some nonsense like that Right. Um, that we all maybe do to try to get a feel for something, but, but you really can, the only way to, to know what that means, I guess, in practice is actually getting on the ski. Yep. Let's see. Um, we've got boots really Slater has boots, um, to review here, given his convenient 27, five, uh, perfect foot size pretty good yeah my feet are generally just big enough that it's quite painful uh to get my foot into a 27.5 but i it's close enough that i can usually i can usually do it and regret it (laughs) (laughs) so we've got a few things in the pipeline from atomic um their new hawks boot hawks ultra i believe it is and that is a boa boot which we're pretty excited to test out um for those that that don't really follow the alpine world boa came out with a whole new system um that is like yeah it uses a thick cable and a large really robust looking boa dial um pretty different form factor to to the uh the boas that we know and generally love or hate or whatever well i feel like people had a challenge with the boa 
me included, for that era that Boa Boots came on the scene, like the Backlund Carbon from Atomic, and then like the, at least for me, it was, I had the Alien RS from Scarpa, and man, I replaced three different Boa systems on the Alien RS. Which is crazy because I had the boots for the same amount of time, similar amount of use, I would imagine, and never had to replace the BOA. Yeah. I, I sold those boots for $50 recently, and the BOAs are still <laughs> working just fine. <laughs> nice. Who knows? So, yeah, new BOA boot, uh, Atomic Hawks. Um, and the, the Hawks kind of jumped up a weight class, um, by switching to a polyurethane, uh, plastic compound and this new BOA and generally just beefing things up a little bit into like a more proper 50, 50 boot. Um, given that it's an atomic, I would imagine that it walks pretty well for its weight, um, and robustness. It seems like they have that low friction pivot um and general low friction walk mode pretty dialed so i think that'll be an interesting interesting boot to try out for use later yeah it'll be another good boot in that category it's this step above there are these four buckle boots that have become commonplace you see a lot out in the wild like the old atomic hawks or the Technica Zero-G series. Um, And, like, it's these traditional four-buckle boots that have a good walk mechanism. People have said, wow, this is a good balance between uphill and downhill performance. But now Atomic has sort of taken that and it's split it in both directions. It made the Hawks heavier, more robust, like changed the material, added more material, and then they've gone down and sort of built this boot in between like what they used to have with the four buckle hawks and then their backland series, they have the backland XTD. It's just like middle ground between the two buckle boot and four buckle boot category now that we're seeing. And, and so that one will be a robust two buckle perhaps. Yeah. Right. Still a two buckle, but right. But certainly a different category than yeah. a, uh, F1 XT or zero G peak or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, they look, they look really interesting as well and kind of are filling in this category that I really haven't, uh, participated in yet, which is in my mind, the one boot quiver for a backcountry skier category in a lot of ways. So it's like light enough that you don't feel crazy skiing it with a lightweight ski in the spring perhaps like where maybe if you had two boots you'd be skiing your f1 lt or alien rs or something along those lines um but then also they can drive big skis in good snow and yeah sort of pull that double duty um the backland xtd fits that category we've also got the fisher transalp carbon Transalp Pro yeah. Carbon. I'm, I might be mixing up the order there, um, but similar two buckle. Um, yeah, beefy two buckle uh, seems quite stiff. G- 
good walk modes, you know, significantly better walking than the four buckle category um, with really, in many cases, like similar weight, um, but in that 13, 1400 gram range where, where that there's also on the other kind of end of the same category, I would say is like the Scorpius from La Sportiva that is lighter than these the backland xtd or transout pro but adds some some stiffness and capability over a a thousand gram category boot yeah it's like there's the resolution's getting higher with like boots you know there we can't just use language of like two buckle versus four buckle anymore right absolutely and yeah it's an interesting something that we were just talking about the other day is uh is the the fit trends with a lot of these boots too yeah transout pro being a maybe notable exception and i guess uh, actually the hawks ultra that hawks or that atomic ultra last is certainly low volume um thanks atomic for that yeah but uh both the backland xtd uh the zero g peak has a little bit of this and then the rumors of the new zero G as well as kind of the various uh, Dinafit boots in this similar categories are uh, all going with a higher instep and higher volume, it seems, which is really a shame for low instep, low volume footed folks like myself. Uh, and it's funny to see <laughs> relative to three or four years ago uh, when the zero G tour pro and the alien RS were sort of reigning supreme and all people could do is complain about the, the boots being too narrow, too low instep, too low volume, etc. And it seems like the next few years are going to be uh, time for, folks like you and I with low volume feet and low insteps to do some complaining. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to step to the side. We can give these high volume feet people their, their time. Start foam. We'll figure it out. Foam shopping. It is a little hard. I would say it's harder to fill space than to make space. Right. In a boot. At least in, so. in many spots, right? Like, Yeah. In many spots, it's harder to fill space, especially in the long term. Like it's easy to fill space, but then the foam with foam, but then the foam compresses. Or yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm. I wouldn't say I'm nervous because there are still some low volume options out there, but it's not ideal. Yeah, that's okay. My current sort of go to boot, the Zero Technica Zero G Peak. Um, I'm working on acquiring a pair of the peak carbons um i i bought myself a pair of the i i struggle with what to call it but i'm gonna go with the the plastic peak (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which doesn't really give enough credit to the technology that goes into that plastic because it's a carbon infused gorilla mid um but but technica is making the peak in a full carbon infused gorilla mid model and then a partial carbon infused gorilla mid and partial um, carbon fiber um, cuff model 
and a friend at Technica kind of hinted me to the fact that a lot of folks at at Technica and Blizzard were skiing the the plastic non-carbon peak and felt that it was a bit more progressive um, and just generally enjoyed the ski performance of it a little bit more. And so after a year or a season of really enjoying those peaks, um, I'm, I'm interested as a, as close as a sort of one-to-one side-by-side carbon cuff versus plastic cuff comparison as one can do um, to, to try to get the down low on sort of why that may be that people are preferring it and then and then kind of give my take and hopefully get some information out there about you know why you might choose a carbon cuff versus a plastic cuff because it it was a little weird for me honestly to not be like getting myself the top of the line model which is silly but it like bothered me a little bit (laughs) i think it'll be good I look forward to hearing that because it's good to discern this, the fact that like stiffer isn't better, but it's, it, there's more language there to be had too of like feeling a progressive flex and having this energy that you put into the boot and get back from it. If you're just hitting a, a brick wall, which you usually do when you're skiing a carbon cuff boot, it's like that doesn't necessarily mean it's better just because you can like lean into the boot more without it deforming right and when it deforms it seems in my experience to be less predictable um because you get a significant bow in the lower cuff um and and yeah less predictable flex and deformation once you get a carbon boot to deform where a non-carbon boot often will have a more predictable and perhaps progressive uh, flex, where it flexes as you put pressure into it. Um, and then maybe it doesn't stiffen up in this at the end of its flex range in the same way that a alpine boot does but you at least get that progression as you push into the boot progressive pushback sort of um, rather than brick wall and then uh, collapse or sort of sudden deformation that makes you feel like you're going to rip your Achilles out. Um, Moving on from the boot world, um, you want to talk about Slatnar? I think you should talk about Slatnar. You you mentioned to me, yeah, we're going to put some Slatnar bindings on this ski. And I had to look it up. I mean, and I had to look deep because I'm like, Slatnar bindings are not what I would put on a touring ski. <laughs> Unless we're like really expanding the definition of what we use touring skis You're for. Like, I don't think my boots are going to work with this. Yeah. So a little background. Slatnar is a ski jumping company out of Slovenia. And I caught wind of it um, from the folks at Schemoco down in Salt Lake. And they, I guess the backstory is that that one of the USA ski jumping coaches 
um, stopped by the the Schemo Co. store and had these bindings that he was kind of showing off. <laughs> and they were like, what the heck are those? And then they managed to order a run of them. And essentially the way they put it to me is that we don't think anyone else really knows about them yet. And the internet would confirm that in the sense that Schemoco is the only place on the internet, um, aside from the TGR forum, I think, where somebody took a photo in Schemoco and posted it. Um, but the Slatnar website has like a little hint that something ski touring related is coming. And otherwise, yeah, this is the only information out there. But but the Slatnar bindings are they're worth a worth a, a gander on Schemoco. Um and I would describe them best as a a beefed up Solomon MTN or you know Amer Sports MTN pure or whatever binding um yeah really similar look they've got a built-in free ride spacer that looks really beefy um and has the sliding afd sort of thing uh the toe is a little like plume-esque almost generally a wide mounting pattern really robust looking binding and uh yeah you know, people always sort of warn about about new bindings to the market and, you know, waiting a year or whatever to let let other people find the the issues. Um so we'll certainly So we're those people. Yeah, we might not so we're those people. Bring them out <laughs> to the Grand Teton or something day one. Um but but they they certainly look really well made and robust and I know that Slatnar is pretty highly regarded in the ski jumping world, um, where you obviously also really don't want your bindings to fall to fail. Um, so yeah, I've I've got high hopes for the Slatnar bindings. Yeah, me too. Um, I think they'll be really cool, and we're gonna put those. The plan is to put the Slatnars on the Solus, um, because. I don't know, burly binding on a burly ski, I suppose. And I know in an earlier Solus, like one of those Black Crows tech videos where Julian, oh, I don't remember, Julian R., I don't remember his full last name, uh, talks you through the skis, and he's kind of the ski designer or one of the ski designers at Black Crows. And he, he mentions that it's it's a shame to put a wimpy binding or something along those lines on the solace because the <laughs> I, I I am mincing his exact words, but he essentially says that the 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 back end of the ski is so robust that you ought to have a robust back end to your binding as well. I feel like it's good to heed his advice. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Another binding we've got on the way is the Plume R170, sort of a classic, um, but I, it's been a while for me since I've skied any uh, Plume bindings and be interested to to give that a test. Uh, likely that'll, that'll go on the M Tour 108 um, because Vivian 
just seeing out that. Right. That's a good combo. Just like it's it's a good that pairing. Combo. It's a good pairing with just like the Solace with the Slatinar. It's two like Shamani Valley companies. Pair them together. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's spot on. And that, that R170, I think, will end up moving around um, quite a bit for us. So we'll we'll get some good long-term testing. Um, I'll be interested to see how how the the two screw adjustment plate uh holds up and and uh generally i mean i i think that plumes are some of the more robust bindings out there so <clears throat> not too not too worried about it but i think i think that'll be a great pairing with that m tour and then probably quite a few other skis over the next few years let's see we've got the Central Park Ski Club um, pole grips. I've got them on my desk here. So this is a new idea. And yeah, I I think it's pretty cool. I'm excited. Yeah. I just got a new pair of Black Diamond trekking poles after a good run with some Gravels that had a similar kind of long, bumpy grip. And I was somewhat hopeful that i was going to be putting the central park grips on these trekking poles but i don't think i'm going to because the grip section is pretty short and i don't know it just doesn't seem right (laughs) but i i generally have been really enjoying um skiing with nordic poles every time i do it and i don't do it often because i i hate to get to be seen being a being a nerd like that <laughs> um we're gonna change that perception this season but i i have this idea that i'm going to maybe trim down the central park grips just a little bit they're maybe 20 18 or 20 inches um of ribbed foam and i'm thinking i may trim them um to say 12 or 14 inches and uh and put them on some nordic poles with some kind of directional baskets and then fashion a strap uh for the top and i think it's just going to add even more versatility to my to my nordic pole scene and because the central park grips are camo i'll also look cool (laughs) they will look cool (laughs) or something um but yeah i think it's a cool idea that uh that they've got down in brooklyn or over in brooklyn um interesting place for a ski brand but they're making these grips they they made poles um kind of initially and had issues with quality control and really like finding a good aluminum pole I guess was more challenging than you might expect. And so they decided to just skip with the grips with the idea that there are plenty of poles out there. And a lot of people are into the baton style um, grips. So so that's where we're at. Um, good camo diversity and really good end caps. Um, <clears throat> I was a fairly long time gravel sort of baton style pole 
user. And the biggest crux for me with them was was losing the end caps because they were just a plastic piece. I guess it was the same sort of plastic piece as batons. That's just a press fit. And these these end caps are similar to like a headset top cap on a bike is the best way to describe it. So it's an expansion plug with a bolt through it. Um, and they provide a few different sizes of of expansion plug uh, for different pole inner diameters. And I'm imagining that a mm. loop of cord or, or webbing with kind of a hole melted through it uh, will make a nice strap that you can kind of cinch down into that uh, assembly uh, to have a strap if you want it. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think this is gonna be a cool option um, for the those of us that are extremely particular about ski poles, which, which is more people than than they lead on to. People care about poles totally. I feel like I spend a lot of time putting up with poles that I don't particularly enjoy um, or convincing myself that that poles are right too uh, expensive to bother buying new ones when I have ones that sort of work, yeah. even if they don't have end caps or are a little bent or something. But good poles are are pretty darn nice. I agree. They really, they improve the experience over the course of a day or a tour. Well, we have one more little item here on our, like what we're reviewing this season list. And this, you're particularly knowledgeable about. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. The backpack park part for sure. The airbag part, not so much. That's okay. It'll be good learning for you. Yeah. It'll be the first time in quite a while that i've skied with a non-apocalypse equipment pack yeah it'll be good to sample something maybe is good for me um we've got the the ortovox litrix zero 27 liter airbag uh here for review and it's it caught my attention as one of the lightest and simplest packs um with a litric um electric or battery operated super capacitor style airbag. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sweet little pack. It's coming from somebody who makes fairly minimalist backpacks. It's impressively minimalist. And yeah, I it's my first airbag um which is is probably overdue in a lot of ways, but but I'll be yeah, excited to do some skiing with an airbag this winter and and see what I think of a a different backpack than I'm perhaps used to. Yeah, it'll be interesting conversation beyond how this Ortovox bag works. Because I think that the big reason that people don't use airbags more is because of weight. But with this Ortovox bag, you can point, you can hold it up right next to another fully featured backcountry skiing backpack and being like, well, these two things weigh the same. And then someone will probably say, okay, we'll cost. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's another like fair consideration. It's, it's 1920 grams, I believe, um, for the airbag with, right. or the pack with the airbag installed. And I would guess that without the airbag installed, it is 
a light backpack, which seems, yeah, it seems great. I'm excited to, yeah. to use that. And, you know, if we make it down to Telluride this winter, it'll be, it'll be nice to not be the one in the group being like, shit, everyone's getting their airbags triggers and stuff out and <laughs> feeling a little vulnerable. It'll be good. You'll be able to get ready for warfare just like the rest of us. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I think, uh, that, that pretty much rounds us out. There's a few other like wish list items. Um, but, but I don't think we need to get into those. Yeah. It was a good roundup of what we got so far and it'll be, really interesting to sort of sample these things. I think the big, the interesting thing that we're set up for with the skis in particular is that with you and I and our other friend, Matt Queso, who's going to be skiing on these skis and sort of providing analysis of that, we all have the same BSL. Yeah, because the BSL of the Zero-G Peak is wrong or something because it because sh- my, my 28.5 zero g peak is stated at 308 and your 27.5 zero g tour pros are like 312 or 313 and you do not need to adjust bindings to go between those boots <laughs> right yeah it just works out so well which is a blessing for us but yeah, it'll be, I think, really fun to to sort of build that literacy as well as just coming at it from different backgrounds and different um, skiing styles. Like between you and I, you know, you can do things like 540s and slarves <laughs> and and I'm more of a two feet on the ground kind of skier. And then and then Matt is a, is a ski patroller lived in Reno for a long time and, and was good friends with the, the guys that started moment skis. And so he has spent a ton of time on all these various moment skis as well as others. Um, so he, he really already has kind of that experience as far as, as testing skis and giving input and things like that. So it, it'll be a cool, uh, diverse group. Oh, and don't forget Charlie. Um, who will tell us how easy it is to make them turn. So yeah, we'll have the whole range of experience or uh, backgrounds and skiing styles and things like that to kind yeah. of round out our, our input and compare notes and, you know, make sure we're all kind of on the right track as far as like what we're feeling um, as we assess all these different skis and, and try to do a really good job of, of, just providing really good thorough information on on them for for folks who are who are ski shopping or or trying to build their own kind of literacy um, with ski design. I think that's big is is being able to dig a little bit deeper than a product description and explaining how the shape and profile and weight and design of a ski translates to what it feels like. And so if people sort of can see that and how we're describing it through our like group sourced opinion, it'll give them more language and understanding and doing that for themselves. 
And then the end goals are like way zoom out. The intent is so people can do that and have a more diverse language and more articulate language for ski shape and design so they can buy the right ski for themselves because it's hard, you know, like people don't get to swap around skis with their friends or try out all different kinds of skis and and so they'll be able to like make a better informed decision um and like have more fun on it yeah i think that that's the that's the root of what we're doing here you know we're we have no sort of vested interest in selling skis that has really no benefit to us um, aside from from maybe the the companies that we're getting skis from doing well is good for the ski industry and good for us us continuing to get skis to review but but aside from that like our only sort of job here is is to have readers be better informed so that they can make a better decision and not sort of waste their money on on a ski that they don't like or that they won't like or not get along with or or whatever um so yeah the more information we can provide the better like comparisons we can provide because it's always useful when you can say okay i have this ski in my you know in my garage or in my quiver and i'm interested in this ski and then you read a review and if 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 we're saying well relative to the ski in your garage it's this yeah hopefully we can sort of build that library um such that it's it's most helpful to to folks and and uh relatable to what they're what they have already or what they're experienced with or or knowledgeable on and then and then sort of build off that awesome slater this has been a great great chat and pleasure per usual yeah approaching hour three and a half or so of of phone time with each other today which has all been lovely it's only more to come more to come just yeah come december be be back in back in the living room in wilson annoying morgan about talking about skis the only difference this time is that i'll be able to um instead of saying all right good night and sort of just like tipping over on the side of the couch and falling asleep I'll, you get to drive I'll home. now be driving and or biking home. <laughs> a little sad, honestly. Unless it's too late, then I'll probably just spend the night on the couch again. That's perfect. Yeah. It'll be the furthest away you've lived in in Jackson. Whole different part of town. Other side of the river. Whole other side of the river. Whew. Out of the driveway, out of the living room. I'm slowly creeping away, though. <laughs> We're looking forward to uh, to having you around and and uh, yeah, getting getting all these skis mounted up and and ready for when the snow flies proper because it's starting to fly, but it's not a good time for new skis yet. Perhaps you know, stick to the rock skis for a few yeah. more weeks. Yeah, need a few more storms. Lay down <laughs> a bit of a base. 
but I, I bet we'll be ready to do some ski testing when you get to town. So looking forward to it. I bet so. Yeah, me too. All right, Slater. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, nice chatting, as always. Thanks for listening to the High Route Gear Shed podcast for the time being. If you have questions for us about the gear mentioned on this episode, feel free to send an email to Gavin at Gavin at thehighroute.com. Don't forget those hyphens in that email address. Uh, Speaking of hyphens, you can also support us at thehighroute.com as well. Thanks. The theme music for the High Route Gearship podcast comes from the band Storms in the Hill Country and the album The Self-Transforming. You're hearing the track Beautiful Alien. We'll link to the music in the show notes and our website. That you brought back, that you brought back from the seventh dimension.